From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. It is the top of the week. Tensions are high, especially if you are in Eastern Europe. We have an episode cooking on that, but in the meantime, if you'd like some context that is egregiously missing from mainstream media, do check out our past episodes on The Great Game, on whether the Cold War ended, on Alexander Dukin, uh, a.k.a. Russia's new Rasputin, or at least that's the name of the episode. He's kind of an Alex Jones figure for them, but an Alex Jones figure that generals listen to. This, Does he have, like, magical powers? Can he take a ha- bullet and survive? You'll have to listen to the episode. He sure talks like he can, and he, he does have an occult background. Uh, so that I think that's tasty. Uh, that's a tasty <laughs> tease there. Um, so today we're not talking about those things, but our eyes are very much on them, and we depend on you and your fellow conspiracy realists to help give us the truth, the unvarnished stuff, no matter how ugly it is. So please always feel free to contact us. Today, we are going to talk about corruption. We're going to talk about a shiny new resurrection of Epcot ideas. And uh, we're also going to talk about some fun uh, counter-protest stuff that touches on another episode we have in development, a.k.a. the Freedom Convoy. Thank you to everyone who has written uh, very well-considered opinions about this. And not everybody is of the same mind, which, by the way, I think means that we are doing something correctly. So with this, let's get to the big ticket item. This happens a lot in the world of um, always cycling news. You'll hear a big story that will explode, but then it gets subsumed in the noise because another story happens. So this is a very interesting time for us to do strange news, as a lot of news is rightly occupied. Occupied might be the best word there, but rightly occupied with the situation in uh, Ukraine. So you may not have heard that there was a massive new leak that hit the press recently before uh, Daddy Vladdy took over most uh, most news I almost programs. Just spit out my coffee. <laughs> Fantastic. Daddy Vladdy. Yeah, that's uh, that's what he wants to be called, apparently. Um, he's kind of more of a zaddy, though, you know? He's really got the bucks to make these things happen. He's sensitive what about his What is age. a zaddy? A zaddy is like a, like a daddy warbucks, like kind of like a, like an older, buff daddy that'll buy you nice things. Isn't that right? Yeah, also known as a silver fox, I believe, mm-hmm. in, in, that, in that nomenclature. But yeah. Maybe he's sensitive about his age, daddy, daddy Vladdy. Um, but the news should be occupied with this because terrible things are on the verge of happening and some terrible things have already occurred. That's why you might have missed this story that, Matt, I know you and I were talking about a bit off air. This is something that uh, I, I think will surprise a lot of people if they haven't heard about this. But maybe the best way to set us up is to say, have you ever thought of like, Opening a Swiss bank account. 
I'm not there in life yet, but I'd like one. No, I, I mean, no, I'm not there in life yet either, but it certainly seems like a real cool flex. Let me check my uh, Swiss bank account. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, a lot of very wealthy people have done that over, you know, the years, many, many decades uh, because of the banking laws in Switzerland. And we've talked about this before. A couple of different times we've covered things like the Panama Papers, the Pandora Papers, the HSBC Bank, and, and what was going on there with money laundering for uh, people who make their money with illicit drugs. And, you know, Credit Suisse, unfortunately, is riled up in a bunch of scandals right now. Fortunately, unfortunately, I suppose. And this is just the latest thing. I'll read you the headline from The Guardian, which is one of the media outlets that's part of the rather large um, consortium of media outlets that got access to this information and have been working on it for some time. The title, if you want to search for it, is Revealed Credit Suisse Leak Unmasks Criminals, Fraudsters, and Corrupt Politicians. It was written by David Pegg, Kalina Marktoff, Martin Chulov, Paul Lewis, and Luke Harding. And... The story here is that a whistleblower took a look at some of the banking that's been going on there, some of the raw data from accounts over many years, actually, and sent it out to journalists. This whistleblower didn't just release it online. It's very much in the way that a few whistleblowers in the past have leaked information to WikiLeaks or some other organization as a, a way to have it vetted by journalists because it's not just bad actor information in here. We're talking about 30,000 clients of, of Credit Suisse, some of whom are just innocent people who have, you know, a lot of wealth and have put it into a bank in Switzerland because of the banking laws. Some people, I mean, we can argue some of the morals there or whatever, <laughs> but, but uh, objectively innocent people who didn't do anything weird, at least that's known. But there are some other clients that were caught up in that 30,000 number who have done some weird things. The euphemism would be high risk clients, I believe. Yes. High risk clients is correct. Uh, let me just give you some of the details from this guardian article. Again, you can, you should go and read it. If you have time, if you have access to the guardian, these 30,000 clients have access to, or it counts up to over 100 billion Swiss francs. And one Swiss franc equals 1.09 U.S. dollars. So oh. do the math there. Go USA. That's, uh, that's lower than I remember. It's, it's better than it was. It still adds up to around 80 billion in uh, the British pound, yield pounds. So I'll just give you some of this info. Some of the data goes back as far as the 1940s. So we're talking... <laughs> like post-World War II era kind of stuff. Two-thirds were open since the year 2000, so about 21, 22 years of some of these things being opened. And many of them were opened just in the past decade. And just here's surface data, right? Surface data. The most accounts came from these countries, Venezuela, Egypt, Thailand, and Ukraine. And all four of these countries have had their fair share of issues with the elite wealthy moving their money outside of the country in which they live. Uh, I mean, you could say that about pretty much any country, but these four in particular were highlighted by the guardian as having issues with that in the past. As I said, the whistleblower who leaked this information sent it over to uh, Süddeutsche Zeitung, which is 
a German newspaper we've talked about before on this, often they will get kind of the lead on one of these big stories. The Guardian is also up there as one of the major papers that gets these kinds of leaks. Here's a quote from that whistleblower. I believe that Swiss banking secrecy laws are immoral. The pretext of protecting financial privacy is merely a fig leaf covering the shameful role of Swiss banks and collaborators of tax evaders. <laughs> That's such a funny metaphor because the idea of a fig leaf is so outdated anyway, as if like a penis isn't somehow some horrible thing that should be hidden or like, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. It's just funny. Funny that someone would even use that. Um, like, oh no, the immoral genital region. Uh, it is interesting, though. I think there's some truth to besides, you know, the mismatched uh, metaphor there, I guess, or the image. It, it, why? Why is it so laissez faire there? Is it a civil liberties thing that they've like kind of codified and held up as this shining example of how progressive they are as the Swiss? It goes back to uh, the 1700s. So there mm-hmm. are con- there are conspiracy theories you will read that argue it goes back much, much further. But really Swiss banking secrecy evolved as or the genesis of its evolution uh, takes place as a way of avoiding the Protestant banking system of the time. So Catholic kings in France would put their money in Geneva. So it was a tax dodge, basically. <laughs> it, it was a way not to pay your fair share, and it just really took off. So is Delaware like the Switzerland of the U.S.? Um, Delaware... Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if high-value individuals based in Delaware who run corporations that are based in Delaware have their money in Swiss bank accounts. Even now, they might still. But, uh, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's just Delaware yeah. being sort of a t- weird tax shelter here in the U.S. It's like a somehow a loophole in a similar yeah. way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, corporations operate differently in Delaware, which I've always wanted to do an episode on. But yes, this um, Matt, you're spot on with some of the some of the concerns here, right? Because this also makes the banking, it, it makes Credit Suisse look bad. It does. It makes Credit Suisse look very bad. And they're a behemoth when it comes mm. to banking. Just on the Swiss banking laws and the culture there, uh, I just want to point this out, which The Guardian did. If you live in Switzerland, if you're a citizen, you cannot learn information about any of this by reading the Swiss news. Because by law, they are not allowed to cover uh, anything about a specific client of their banking institutions. Because poor people can buy newspapers. Just pointing it out. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that Switzerland's always considered to be so neutral? Like, you know, we are we are Switzerland. But isn't this about the least neutral thing they can do to shelter all of these, like, international criminals and their uh, hmm. finances from the eyes of the law? It just doesn't well, seem very neutral to me. I think we'll get to it in a second, um, but there is, there are some internal mechanisms that Swiss banks are legally required to do before accepting someone as a client. So they can keep, they'll keep the secrets um, with a couple of different caveats, but it is on them legally to say, oh, you know, Idi Amin is a war criminal, so maybe we shouldn't let him put... But there are also ways that they process those things that make it very easy to not see stuff you don't want to see. Would you say that's accurate, Matt? Yeah, I think one of the biggest problems here are accounts started by people who don't necessarily have any blemishes on their character or have done something wrong. 
they begin the account. It's a ton of money just sitting in their bank, which allows them to operate at the levels they're allowed that they can operate. Right. Because they have so much money in the, in their bank, literally uh, that <laughs> once, once something comes out about one of these uh, account holders, it doesn't help the bank to like raise a flag and say, Oh, now we got to get rid of this person's, you know, $24 million or whatever. Uh, it just it doesn't make sense because the money's just sitting there, right? If nobody knows that it's that person's money and it's just sitting in there, it's only helping the bank. But yeah, Ben, you're you're getting to a lot of stuff that's in this Guardian article as well. And I'm only citing this one article because it's been it's the primary source for this coming out right now, in my opinion. And it's branching off with other articles that they're publishing right now. So if you want to at least get started learning about this, head there. Uh, but they do make some statements in here about how banking law is changing. And it looks like in the future, there's going to be more changes on the way. Mm -hmm. Uh, It says membership of the global exchange system is often cited by Switzerland's banking industry as a turning point. Quote, there is no longer Swiss bank client confidentiality for clients abroad. So a client who lives in the United States, but has a Swiss bank account, they don't have the same protections that, someone living in Switzerland has. And that's from the Swiss Bankers Association. They say, quote, we are transparent. There's nothing to hide in Switzerland. Yes, there is. You know there is. Uh, It says uh, Switzerland's almost 90-year-old banking secrecy law, however, remains in force and was recently broadened. The Tax Justice Network estimates that countries around the world collectively lose $21 billion, that's U.S., each year in tax revenues because of Switzerland. Because that's, yeah, the money just yeah. goes and stays. But that's what I mean. Like, I would think that would make them persona non grata to, to the government, not neutral at all. It's like, yo, you're taking all of this money out of the coffers of, of our uh, of, of our treasury. Mm. I, I do want to point out that uh, what they're referencing there in The Guardian is the uh, Federal Act on Banks and Saving Banks from 1934 in Switzerland. So yes. the roots of that are in the 1700s, but the the law that is still being tinkered with today is from the 30s. Yep. Oh, God. Pretty soon we're going to have to say the 1930s because we'll oh, be gross. in the 30s. Anyway, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. There's a lot of moral quandary here. There is. And just quickly to connect this to Ukraine and what we were talking about, there's a gentleman named Pavlo Lazarenko that you can learn about if you read this article. He was the prime minister of Ukraine between 1997 and 98. And that's around the time when he applied for a Credit Suisse account. And oh, what was it? It says it was valued at 8 million francs at the time. It was later found that he had apparently, according to Transparency International, he apparently looted 200 million U.S. dollars from the Ukrainian government, or at least wealth equaling 200 million dollars. Um, and he did it by threatening, this is from The Guardian, he did it by threatening to harm businesses unless they paid him 50% of their profits. And his money was still hanging out in there. <laughs> oh, like uh, like Putin's deal with the oligarchs, right? That, I right? mean, that's, that's the big rumor is that the oligarchs who were currently parking all that money in London were able to, you know, this is for a future episode. Spoiler yeah, folks. yeah. But uh, what he did was he, you know, went hard on a few oligarchs who were getting big for their britches and the rest were like, what do we have to do to survive? And he allegedly just told them 50%. Yeah, exactly. Give, come on. Here. 
50%. So look, there's a ton more here. I think this is worth more of our time, guys, mm, uh, just to go into some of these details. They're fascinating. In the meantime, you listening, please check it out. Look at Credit Suisse's official response. You can find that also in The Guardian. You can also find an article, What is the Suisse Secrets Leak and Why Are We Publishing It? It's a really interesting look at why The Guardian is actually doing this entire thing. Uh, highly recommend. Oh, and also, don't forget... There's a Credit Suisse banker right now who is on trial with the Mm. whole cocaine cash Mm. thing. And Mm. that was happening. There was an article in Reuters about that two days before this leak came out on February 20th. Can can, can I just say that every time you say Credit Suisse, I just think you're doing a very erudite, highfalutin pronunciation of the word Swiss. Oh, shoot. Am I supposed to just say Swiss? No. I always thought it was Swiss. No. Just say Swiss. I, I think it is Swiss. I think you're <laughs> okay. absolutely right. But it's just funny because it's spelled differently. Um, and also it just sounds, I'm sure maybe the Swiss do call themselves the Swiss. But when you say it in an American accent, it just it makes me, uh, makes me, fills me with joy. Got you. <laughs> Good. I'm glad I could do that. Uh, mm-hmm. For now, we're going to leave this here. Please do read about it on your own time and then we'll cover it further in the future. We'll be right back with more strange news. And we're back um, with more strange news. This is a, something of an update to a story. I think we've done two updates to thus far. The uh, trucker convoy blockade anti-mask vax situation there in Canada. Matt, you sort of led the charge on this one, kind of unpacking what they were all about, what's being done about it. There are you know folks that are trying to aid these protesters by funneling them you know, resources and cryptocurrency and this, that, and the other. Does that about cover it, Matt? To, to be fair, I think Ben led the charge on this one. But uh, you, you at least led one of the charges. You did an update for sure, Matt, I recall. But Ben, does that? Um, yeah, I've been, I've been uh, doing some extensive research on this. Uh, again, grateful for everybody who's written in. And also very impressed uh, with the caliber of conversation, especially the fact that not everybody uh, listening now agrees on these things. Uh just a quick note, this Canada has ended the Freedom Convoy in a large part. They finally did invoke the Emergencies Act about a week mm-hmm. ago as we record to make the trucks move, basically. Correct. But the, but the basic reason for it existing was about as I laid it out. It was uh, people that were of a perhaps more right wing leaning i mean you know it doesn't mean exactly the same thing over there as it does over here but it largely does um political sensibility that were not about vaccines not about mask mandates and all that and they uh, sought to disrupt the supply chain in some form and at the very least disrupt traffic in downtown ottawa uh, yeah by just pulling their trucks in very inconvenient ways essentially they, they formed a ring around the city with their trucks or, mm. or attempted to anyway yeah, tried to block major uh, transportation routes, major major road routes. Uh, and they, yeah, you're correct. It was started by a faction of truckers who professionally travel across the Canadian-U.S. border uh, in response to the mandating of vaccinations for those drivers. To be clear, the majority of uh, truckers at that time and now are actually vaccinated. So it's, yeah. it's not like all the trucks in Canada went. But it was a lot. Started as a convoy and is an occupation and a protest. Now, wouldn't you say, before we get into the story, obviously, I'm sorry to dilly-dally, but um, wouldn't you say there is a version of this that could be categorized as domestic terrorism? 
like where it goes beyond just a, uh, a protest. I mean, we did an episode on eco-terrorism recently and discussed kind of the differences between that and just more like basic domestic terrorism. But I know they're not blowing anything up, but they are going to such a degree to block, you know, shipping hubs and infrastructure kind of choke points that, you know, they are seeking to do harm to the country from within. It's interesting. I mean, the Canadian government did use the Terrorist Financing Act to target financial support for the truckers. Like people were getting in trouble for donating to GoFundMes and stuff. So from the opinion or perspective of certain parts of the Canadian government, they were treated as terrorists. But if you ask people who were supporting the protests, I, I think they would take strong objection to that idea. But but what you're saying at least holds true with the perspective of the Canadian government. Well, yeah, and that's what I was getting at. And uh, so speaking of how supporters of this movement see those participating in it and how the participants see themselves, um, a lot of the chatter around uh, organizing and, you know, um, connecting up different people that are involved in this, different drivers, it's not happening over CB radio. It's actually happening electronically over something called Zello, which I'm not really familiar with. I don't know if that's a Canadian thing. It seems to me like maybe sort of like a WhatsApp type situation. Or, or like a Discord kind of where it's like an audio-based kind of group chat uh, where different people can be uh, in, in the chat. And, and then also, like we know with Discord, a lot of those um, addresses uh, are available to the public or can be leaked. And all you need, you often don't need any kind of password or anything. You just need the... Uh, um, the URL, and then you can you can jump in, just like we used to have these spates of uh, um, Zoom bombing, you know, during the beginning of the pandemic, and a uh, a small but highly vocal contingent of uh, anti convoy uh, protesters have begun using a piece of audio that got a bit of attention in around 2016 as a meme. You guys, does the does the expression Ram Ranch mean anything to you? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Okay. Well, Ram Ranch, and, and this, uh, this is a warning here to anyone listening. A Google of this term is about as NSFW as it gets. Um, you can read lyrics to the song in a Rolling Stone article um, called A Porno Metal Song About Gay Cowboys Disrupting the Anti-Vax Trucker Convoy by E.J. Dixon. Um, very appropriate last name for this one, too. There's a lot of content in this song. I'll just say what it leads with, and then the rest of it I can't even do it. I can't just, there's no way. Um, but you can look for yourselves, um, but don't play the audio out loud at work, and if you're going to read it, I would read it uh, in, a, in a separate tab um, that you can maybe like duck out of if someone comes to look over your shoulder. Um, it starts with this. Basically, the audio of the original version, um, it is a kind of cheesy canned metal track, sort of like some, you know, Randy Rhodes kind of, you know, uh, chugging kind of electric guitar sound. And it's clearly this dude with this very weird kind of like old man voice not sure if it's a put on or what, but uh, reciting these lyrics, not really in time with the metal track at all, just sort of almost, it really reminds me of some sort of like experimental outsider weirdo psychedelic music, but don't know if that wasn't how it was intended. But it starts off with the, uh, the lyric, 18 naked cowboys in the showers at Ram Ranch. And it goes on from there uh, to include some very descriptive, highly uh, salacious language uh, describing the various scenarios that these 18 naked cowboys and all of their compatriots get into there at Ram Ranch. Um, and that has kind of become the rallying cry for a uh, small contingent of anti-convoy protesters known as the Ram Ranch Resistance. 
love mm. good alliteration, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, hashtag Ram Ranch Resistance. It is a, uh, according to Rolling Stone, a loosely organized counter movement to the trucker convoy. Um, and they are essentially uh, infiltrating these Zello chats and disrupting them by playing this song. Uh, over the over the channels. Um, oh, it's actually so. Zello is actually a push to talk walkie talkie app. Yeah. Uh, so it's somewhat similar to like Clubhouse, but it's it's essentially what I said. But apparently, it does have a walkie talkie element to it. But again, all the things I said before hold true. Um, so this Rolling Stone article uh, quotes Katerina, um, no last name given, who's a PhD student uh, there in Ottawa and one of the leaders of the uh, the Triple R, let's call it, the Ram Ranch Resistance. She asked for her last name to be withheld. She did not want to be doxxed, it says here in the article, and I can see why. Um, so she says it started off with some of these counter-protesters just kind of logging into the Zello channels and infiltrating them just to kind of monitor what was going on and just to kind of get, like, intel about where they were going to be, um, what their intentions were, just kind of get a sense of who the people were that were participating in this, this, uh, this protest. Um, and she says that over time, she started to realize a lot of the folks on these channels were using some very homophobic, misogynist, racist, sexist, just nasty language, uh, very casually. And um, she started to realize kind of what their intent was. And uh, they would refer to themselves as soldiers. They would say that, you know, it's very much being sort of presented, and I think accurately, as a Canadian version of like the insurgency that happened here at the Capitol. Um, in that it's an action. It is a, you know, an on the ground action that's organized um, with people that hold these very uh, conservative beliefs. Um, and Katarina had this to say in the article, uh, quote, it's a deeply conservative belief system infiltrating our city. And that's how she described what she and her colleagues sort of started to get the picture of once they were listening. So they decided to just jam up these conversations by playing that, that song. Uh, and we played this song, she says, to jam their communication. They'd get extremely angry because it's an explicit and LGBTQ friendly song. Um, the creator of Ram Ranch, the original, um, it was put out in 2012. Um, it's a guy by the name of Grant McDonald. Um, and he kind of became a bit of a internet sensation because of the song when it kind of went viral in 2016. Now it's experiencing a serious resurgence. You can find it on Spotify along with some of his other hits. Um, I'm using hits very loosely, but he definitely has some other songs very much in the same vein. Uh, as Ram Ranch. Um, and he said that he was thrilled to see the song trending again and uh, the numbers of the play counts uh, going up, you know, on Spotify because he said that the initial, the initial, um, impetus behind the song was itself a protest that he was trying to protest against what he saw as, uh, misogyny and homophobia in Nashville, particularly, um, the idea of like gay cowboy being sort of like, you know, this kind of shunned concept. Um, he takes it about as far as you can go. <laughs> I tell you in this song. And it's, uh, it's very interesting and very performance arty when you listen to it, if you, if you choose to listen to it. So, um, yeah, I mean, essentially it's just a very elaborate act of trolling, um, using this, uh, this song to try to push the buttons of, of these folks that, you know, have dispersed at this point, um, for the most part, but, uh, at the time, you know, I think it was a pretty interesting uh, uh, way of going about pissing these folks off. 
What do you guys think? Is this helpful? Is this just riling people up even further and making them feel more justified in their actions? Or mm-hmm. I find it delightful personally. I, uh, I'm a fan of protest uh, in general, in principle. I think it's an important right for anybody, wherever you live. Uh, if you don't have the ability to protest, then something is wrong. Uh, also, I am a huge proponent of culture jamming. I, I like disrupting routines. I like, uh, I like countering these expectations and assumptions that any people may have, uh, you know, I make fake products and leave them in grocery stores. I'll say it because I looked into the laws and there's not really a way I can get in trouble for it. I'm not breaking the law. I'm just being unnecessarily extra. Uh, and you're I giving, love pro- you're giving a gift. You know, you're leaving sure. something behind. <laughs> and I put that. this is not food on the label. Um, but culture jamming, whether you think of Discordian or whether you think of, you know, protest tactics that can be like performance art, there's a reason they happen. It's because they work. So if you want to uh, make a counter protest song, then absolutely. It, the author here clearly was not, or excuse me, the, the musician who authored the song is was clearly not intending it to be made in a protest when they were penning the original song. But obviously they support this. It's good for them. I mean, I think a million Spotify views gives you like enough to buy some cheese. Something like that. Yeah. Happy meal. Maybe it's pretty ridiculous. Maybe maybe part of a happy meal, but yeah, Yeah. but like since we walked down the street to throw some shade on Spotify there, um, I think this is like a, a, a good thing. And also, Honestly, think about every time in your life someone has effectively influenced you. It hasn't been yelling at you. I guarantee you. It hasn't really been yelling at you unless they were already uh, already had some leverage over you, like a parent or something. Most sure. of the time, when strangers influence you in a lasting way, it's through the use of humor. That's why, that's why trolling works. Like, if you can get someone to laugh, you already have a powerful thing in common with them. So yeah. that's why I support it. I don't know about you, Matt. I'm with you, man. I'm with you. How about you, Matt? I don't know. Um, music. Matt hates music. I, no, no, I agree <laughs> with that stuff. I think I'm falling on the fence of being in support of the convoy's right to protest but falling out of line when it comes to the tactics simply because they are so potentially damaging, but they are so effective in what they're attempting to do, which is ultimately just get attention for something, right? To have attention placed on some concern. When it comes to culture jamming, you know, a protest, yeah, I mean, everybody should be able to protest about anything, including counter-protest, for sure. But how do you feel about cowboys in the showers at Ram Ranch on their knees wanting to suck cowboy c***s? I'd go for it. That'd be a really nice thing, I'm sure, for all those cowboys, as long as they're consenting. <laughs> okay. I, I'm with you there, too, 100%. Um, and I think it's a very clever way of, like you said, bed culture jamming. That's a great, great way of looking at this. And by the way, it's it, the song has, has had so much uh, popularity over the years that uh, the creator... 
Graham McDonald, um, he, he at one point many years ago was asked to, to make a sequel to it. And at first he has this great quote where he's like, I don't know. It's sort of like asking Pink Floyd to make Dark Side of the Moon 2. He goes, but then, you know, as long as, I mean, obviously like George Lucas has made Star Wars 2 through 9, I guess I can make Ram Ranch 2. And uh, to this day, apparently he's recorded over 500 different versions of Ram Ranch, including one he recorded just a, like a little while ago uh, to kind of capitalize on this. And I imagine that it references truckers in some way. I don't know where to get a hold of that one. Just the original. Um, but yeah, I like pretty much everything about this story. It's called the Ram Stop. It's like a truck stop, but it's for ramming, I guess. I think that's right. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. Uh, so <laughs> let us know what you think. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to take a quick break and then be back with some more. Also, um, this is something we'll, we'll probably talk about later this week, but the Canadian convoy may end up being a little more of a precedent than a one-time event. Stay tuned. Uh, and in the meantime, we have returned one last piece of strange news. Who is that? There on the horizon at the end of this segment. At first, it looks like two heads peeking up over the curve of the earth, but then you see no it's two circles. And then you see the, the as the creature comes closer, that's right. Give me a sound effect, Doc. It's the mouse. Disney <gasps> has entered the chat. Oh, there's the darkness inside. My- <laughs> and you're sued. You're sued and you're sued. Oh, <laughs> suit again. Double why, suit. Why does Goofy have pants? Why is Pluto treated more like a dog? There's inequality in the mythos of Disney, obviously. You don't have to look past, you know, clips of the, the band uh, wartime propaganda on YouTube. But for millions and millions of people, Disney has changed their life for the better. Um, a lot of folks, I think, for a long time weren't aware of the full extent of Disney's heft and power. Uh, Do check out our episode on the Reedy Creek Improvement District, where you'll learn about Celebration Florida. You'll learn about the origins and the controversies surrounding Disney. Uh, And of course, you could argue that any big company, the company that owns us as well, uh, at some point gets involved in, uh, in ethically ethically dodgy things just by the nature of their size, going back to Matt's earlier comment uh, in our Credit Suisse conversation. Well, here's what's happening. Let's assume that you love Disney and other people say, I love Disney too. And you're like, no, shut your traitorous mouth. You have no idea what it is to love Disney. I would live at Disney World if I could. And, you know, to be fair, several well-off people have done that. Other people have worried in Florida and abroad about the extent of Disney's influence upon its local sphere, uh, both there in California and, uh, and in Florida, of course. All of these folks, whether they're for it or against it, as my old friend Scott Benjamin used to say, all of these folks are paying attention to the latest news. The Walt Disney Company has announced earlier this month that they are going to create New planned all Disney communities. The name of these communities, Story Living by Disney. Story Living, all one word. First one being built in Rancho Mirage in the Coachella Valley. Uh, This is interesting because Walt himself, Big W, used to own a home there and he would go on vacations in that area. Uh, This also has Shades of Epcot 
Because if you recall, longtime listeners, if you checked out our earlier episode on this, uh, Walt Disney originally did not intend Epcot to be an amusement park. He intended it to be a um, a prototype of world of tomorrow, a city that would uh, be the closest people could get to something like the Jetsons. And in his defense, I'm on record not agreeing with some stuff about this guy, but in his defense, um, he did have some really cool ideas that would have made cities better. Uh I want to share first a statement from the chairman of Disney Parks Experiences and Products, Josh D'Amaro. Josh says, for nearly 100 years, Disney has shared stories that have touched the hearts and minds of people all around the world. As we prepare to enter our second century, we are developing new and exciting ways to bring the magic of Disney to people wherever they are, expanding storytelling, get it, to story living. He didn't say get it. Uh, We can't wait to welcome residents to these beautiful and unique Disney communities where they can live their lives to the fullest. So so many questions. Um, Is it like an, is it like a theme park? Like you, you, you go through and are are there people there that work there that dress up as characters and interact with you? Are there like experiential, like magical forests that you walk to to, on the way to the A&P? Like what, what are we talking here? Yeah, at certain events, uh, you probably will see that. They're going for, you know, planned communities, which includes senior living, 55 years plus. Uh, also probably have, of course, love child care facilities. Uh, everybody living there will have a club membership, which gives you access to what they're calling curated experiences. So They said it's voluntary. They said it's voluntary. Yeah, (laughs) this stuff is always opt-in at the beginning. Shout out Sesame Credit. Uh, This, like, oh, and shout out um, voice interaction with your local, you know, uh, credit card company or utility company, Uh, the world. Anyway, so Walt Disney uh, had this vision years and years ago, and the idea of storytelling evolving to story living makes sense, but I think Based on just what we've heard, I wanted to give Disney's side first and what they're aiming to do. Based on what we've just heard so far, do you feel that there could be some controversies? I don't know. I mean, to me, it's more just like an optics thing of, I mean, in the same way that they're kind of getting some blowback for their really overpriced uh, um, Star Wars hotel that's just like egregiously expensive and clearly designed only for the super duper halves. Um that's all I see in issue. I mean, if you want to, people, we know Disney fanatics. It's a real, it's a real segment of the population. And they oftentimes don't have kids. <laughs> they are, you know, they're adults uh, who have a lot of ex- disposable income and just, you know, choose to spend it on this Disney stuff, these Disney experiences. So to me, it seems like it's for them. Um, and we already know those people use their money to do exactly what they want to do. So I don't quite understand where the controversy is. Is it more about control, Ben, about once you're in this ecosystem, there's like no escape or something? Well, yeah, there's some concerns about sandboxing, of course. Uh, there are also concerns of, you know, I, I, several, several folks wrote to me raising the specter of the company town. You know, um, I mentioned that earlier in the resurgence of that in Nevada is is quite a possibility. Um, this is not the quite this is not quite the same thing. And to be honest, I feel like uh, I, I see some controversies with it that are potential that are down the road. Uh, but immediately what I see is 
maybe people unfairly picking on adult fans of Disney stuff. You know what I mean? Like what you like. As long as you're not making somebody else do it, you know, go have fun at the Ram Ranch, but don't ask me to go hang out or don't get mad when I say no. Or like, go have fun at Story Living and live there. You know what I mean? And maybe I'll come visit you, but don't get mad at me if I don't want to live there. That's your thing. Hmm. You do your thing. That's a question, too. Is is it like um, a prohibitive for visitors? Like, do you have to be part of it, part of that ecosystem, part of their world uh, in order to, like, be able to, like, go hang out? Is there a cost? Like, what what's that structure look like? What are some of your other concerns? No, no, no. Right. Bring your friends. Bring your friends. That's the only way we can continue here at Story, Story Living to uh, make more money. We need more money to come in. For the hogs <laughs> or shades of poltergeist, all are welcome. <clears throat> what's that what's that short story the lottery remember that mm-hmm. one sure that ends with uh spoiler alert for like a 50 year old story with uh everyone in the town um stoning the 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 newbie to death i believe if i'm not mistaken uh, i get i get potential fun dystopian sci-fi shades with that of this whole thing you know like it's all it seems so perfect and then there, it turns out you have to sacrifice someone to the mouse you know once a, a solstice can I tell you? Yeah. Oh, I hope there's no sacrifices in the first phase that you got to, you know, you got to get people. You got to save it up. <laughs> yeah. The worth of the sur- sacrifice. You got to earn that yeah. first sacrifice for real. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> yeah. The, the thing that weirds me out, Ben, is the concept that just in your daily life, if you did live here in this area and you went to all the Disney themed restaurants that are there, because where you primarily get your food. There's probably a Disney Kroger kind of situation, right? Where you go and you get your groceries. Uh, you're hanging out with everybody in this Disney world and it's all run. They say on their official website, story living by Disney.com that it will all be managed by Disney cast members. So right. imagine an entire town that just has Disney cast members running it where you're never not in a Disney experience. Yeah. And the yeah. HOA is going to be crazy. Just think of that because uh, we – again, I cannot emphasize this enough. Check out that episode on Reedy Creek. Uh, secondly, imagine growing up as a child. This is – I guess humans all grow up as children. But uh, like imagine being born in that place. This is something folks are talking about online. And you're associating not just entertainment but life essentials with one company, right? They're not going to have a police force necessarily – Uh, That's a myth, by the way, about Celebration Florida. They don't technically have a police force. But uh, these kids are going to think of this company doing things that normally your local government would do or they'll associate that. Like they will grow up in the sandbox, cradle to, hopefully, for Disney's bottom line, the grave. I mean, do do you like go get a physical from Sebastian the Crab? You know, I mean... (laughs) What are we talking? How far does this go? I imagine they'd probably just be wearing a nice, branded, clean, white Disney, you know, lab coat. I'm sure they're not actually wearing a costume when they tell you to cough. 
But, you know, I, I've been rewatching the show Big Love recently, which is about the, uh, you know, uh, Mormon polygamists uh, in, in Utah. And, uh, you know, one of the important locations in the show is this this um, compound called Juniper Creek, um, which is where, you know, it's sort of a self-sufficient community um, where people are allowed to have many wives. Not allowed. I mean, it's like they're targeted by the government all the time, but they do have this kind of, you know, understanding and and they have their own way of doing things and th- obviously this isn't that, 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 that but it also does have the same my point is a lot of the characters that have grown up in there they grow up having not seen anything else or any other way of living or don't even understand some of them don't know how old they are uh and and don't understand what like the government is you know so mm-hmm. I, I, i'm with you there ben i think it's a very interesting way of looking at it well also consider you know the other part of this goes into conversations about class you know, uh, Disney cast members don't make a ton of money and hopefully they won't have to live in a place where they are 24 hour servants. You know what I mean? That's not a life for anybody. That's why, uh, like that's, but that's what it's building in there. Matt, Matt, I think you see what I'm saying here, right? Because the, the idea is that you, if everything comes to you curated or presented by these cast members and your entire experience is this, then it goes beyond just you doing like you enjoying a life that you love. There's again, nothing wrong with that as long as you're not hurting other people. But there is an argument to be made that this is aiding and abetting some pretty damaging things to the people who have to work there and pretend to be, um, What's a what's a not super great one? Um, pretend to be gassed on all the time, right? Or you're like, you know, or just stoked about everything. Just, you're on twenty four hours a day. <laughs> Seriously, are you guys familiar with a place called Wellington Wells? Interesting that you bring that up. Mm, really? Is this related to John Harvey Kellogg? What what is this? Uh, no, this is from a video game. Oh, okay. a very cool video game, in my opinion titled We Happy Few came out years ago but mm-hmm. it it's a place where there's a chemo, there's a forced chemical induced happiness in this place yeah, and I remember when, this when you're on when you're taking the drug everything appears in my opinion like disney you know it's just everything's great everything's shiny everything's happy nothing's bad nothing bad could ever happen here uh, but if you get off the drugs you see the reality which is ooh not similar great. to similar to Brave New World or them that um uh, uh John Carpenter movie where like the guy has the glasses and sees through the illusion everyone's got these creepy like you know skinless zombie they faces live, you mean they sir? live they excuse live. me yeah thank yeah. you thank you I, I called it them they live but but it's, it's it's a it's a thing we've seen across fiction uh and it is weird but it's also like they're going to argue what's the harm in that what's the harm Matt? What's the harm in well, pure happiness? The harm let is them what Ben the was talking They're in about. their last days of life. You know, let them have this. The, what I'm saying is it's what Ben was talking about in 2038 when there's an uprising of cast members and they've taken over the entire city. <laughs> and now no, it's a very different place. Is it that much different, though, than the, the, the work these people do at Disney parks? Like, I can't imagine. It, it, it's, it's, they're going to be in shifts. I mean, people are going to, you know. It probably will be done through the same ecosystem as far as like the hiring portals and all of that stuff that Disney have. I bet you they'll move some people around, you know, um, mm-hmm. borrow people from the parks. They're all trained, I guess, the same way. But then, yeah, you're right. What's, you know, the needs of a uh, community are a little different than the needs of a theme park, aren't they? 
Right. The earliest precedent, another perhaps more uh, recent precedent would be Global Oaks, which is a kind of a prototype run for this and quite expensive. The entry level there was two million, I think. So this is this is not uh, this is not mouse scratch. Uh, This is a significant chunk of money. The last thing I want to enter into the record as a controversy being raised is the amount of water features that will be constructed in a very, very thirsty place. California is not the number one hotspot for water wars globally, but it's up there in the U.S. for sure because of the extent of agriculture. So people are questioning People are questioning this on on several grounds. I haven't found anything nefarious. And again, I want to be very clear. I'm not intending this conversation as a hit piece for people who, you know, have like maybe worked all their lives and they want to retire and feel like they're kind of always in, you know, immersed in Disney culture. If that's what you want to do, then that's what, you know, it's your money. It's your life. Go be happy. Anybody who tells you that you can't be happy about something you're doing, if it doesn't hurt other people. They're wrong. There, there's not even a nuance to it. If someone, like, if you like ska and you say, I want to live on ska island and no one's going to get hurt and we don't even have to talk about it. And someone's like, oh, ska is BS and you're dumb for living there. Well, guess what? They're wrong. So I want to be clear about that. But there are larger conversations that have to happen about the increased privatization of things on multiple levels of society, because that's what this represents to me. An increased privatization is a problem. It's something I've railed about extensively. You've heard it on our full episodes in the past. No need to go back again, though. Always glad to talk about it. At this point, you know, maybe we'll maybe we'll take a vacation. You know what I mean? I apologize in advance to everyone. If I go to an open house at Story Living and I come back radicalized and I'm like, I was wrong about everything. It's awesome. They have a quesadilla station or something. Then, you know, fuck me because I was wrong about it. But I'm just saying it's right to be skeptical at this point. With that, we want to hear your takes. We want to hear your takes about uh, culture jamming, counter protesting. We want to hear your idea of what if anything, will shake out with this leak from the Swiss banking system. Keep in mind, Credit Suisse is the number two bank. It's not the biggest one. The biggest one is UBS. So what do they have up their sleeve? And then let us know what you think about the future of living in a town that is entirely run by a private entity. Love to hear your thoughts. We try to be easy to find online. That's right. Call us and tell us about your new custom story living home on Ram Island. Our number is 1-833-STDWYTK. When you call in, give yourself a cool nickname. You've got three minutes. Say whatever you'd like. At the end of that three minutes, please give us permission to use your voice. If you want us to use your voice on one of these episodes, that would be very helpful. And... If you've got more to say than can fit in that three-minute voicemail message, why not instead send us a good old-fashioned email? We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.